Hawe Yahweh. Thank you, Father, for this your day, another day. Rejoice in this day with me, brothers and sisters, in this day, another day that God has given, that his breath in my lungs to be able to come and share with you this truth, knowledge, and wisdom. We are reminded and we are told in the word, Paul's letters, that this is a day of rejoicing because the Lord has given us this another day. David sings about this in his songs. And he tells us that we rejoice in this day because it's a day that the Lord has made. How can we not? This day is not promised to us, but yet we are given. Not promised, but we are here. We can never take for granted days that are given. Ava Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Parakritos Aman. Days that are not promised and yet he gives to us. How can we not rejoice in that? And yet there are people, individuals that will get up and, and I just find it hard when they, hard for me. And it's, again, it's not trying to declare any perfection by any way, shape or form as the young singers in their declaration, I am a chief of sinners, <laughs> but yet my Lord comes and invites me to his table, allows me to share this, his word with anyone that is willing to sit and listen to the message and hear the words, but not just hear the words, Listen and go to his word and seek his truth. Seek his face. How can you not rejoice in something that is given that you have no real merit for? It's something that we so readily take for granted because honestly, besides God's grace, how do we figure or how do we decide that we are owed salvation? Well, I did this and I did that and I'm good here and I'm good there and I go to church every Sunday. Yeah. Except for when the big game's on and you don't go, but, but that's not what gets our salvation. You have to understand, this is where people make a grave error, is that salvation is by God's grace. It isn't by anything that we do or any way, shape, or form that we earn it. By God's grace, that he does not want that we are separated from him. He's given us the opportunity to be saved by salvation through the crucifixion of the sacrificial lamb in Jesus Christ. 
as John the Baptizer, his earthly cousin, declared when he was coming to be baptized. When John saw him, he pointed him out and he told the people that were there, behold, the Lamb of God. Why would he call him that? He knew he was going to be sacrificed. Well, he didn't readily know that, but the Spirit gave him that insight that this was. He didn't know that his cousin was going to be crucified. He just knew that something really big was coming and going to happen. And the Spirit gave him that. Behold, the Lamb of God. Ashwa, Ashwa, Ashwa. Behold the Lamb of God. Saw me from such a grave distance and came anyway. How can you not rejoice? When I hear people talk about this, and then it gives me pause for several reasons. How can they claim to be a, a believer and a Christian and then just so readily give up joy And this thing that God so readily wants to give us, that just indicates to me that they are under siege. They need prayer, uplifting. So much of this, and, and Paul was constantly writing. And, and what we need to do, before I go over to my brother Paul, we need to be not just not just in the putting on of the full armor of God, but as I've already declared, and I will openly declare this again, not trying to vaunt myself above or better than anyone else, but brothers and sisters, I want to be one in that gap. I want to stand in that gap. And that means for anyone, anyone that is in need of that and anyone that I can, Lord gives me strength to do so. And I want to be a sentinel. Not just a watch, but a sentinel. There's a important difference and there are a couple places in the scriptures where those are mentioned what is the sentinel well a sentinel would be one that would be in the gap I think I may have shared this with you before but the gap as it is called is a term that is not so widely used anymore, but the gap was at one time when the cities were made, they were made with 
defensive perimeters. And many cities, when they were built, the outer wall had a gate or an opening that was able to be closed. And then there was an inner wall. And in between, there was the gap. And the inner city doors were kept open and travelers could come and go. And of course they had watches that would check and make sure that there were no bad things going on. But the gap is where marketeer, marketers or uh, sellers of various goods and foods and things, they could, they could set up and people that lived within the city could take things out and they could sell. And this wrapped around part of the city, the front portion where the gates and, and people could come in and they could buy from people in the city and, and or they could bring in trade. And this was the gap. And if the city became came under siege, then people that were in the gap could be pulled to the inter, inner portion of the city and that gate closed. And then you had a special group of soldiers that were in the gap. And when the people of the city were pulled within and the inner gates were closed, on the call to arms and they mounted the walls, you had those in the gap. They were special. And they would stay and defend. And give up their lives if need be. For those that were in the city. For their brothers and sisters. For their families. we might not look at them the same way or somewhat differently. We have, in my perception as having been one, a veteran. I am a veteran. I serve this country and you have individuals that did that well. And so many people don't see it because they take it for granted those individuals stand in the gap and there is a gap and many don't realize how short it is but more importantly than that there is also one that is very real between that narrow between heaven and earth and brothers and sisters, it's real. And I want to be a sentinel in that place that God looks for us to be in and looks for those that will be there. And sadly, the scripture even says that he looks and he can't find them. 
Jesus talked about it. I really, really honestly want to be there, but I didn't, I'm not saying this to by any way, shape, or form to vaunt myself to anyone else, but brothers and sisters, I want to be there for you. Jesus was there for us. He's there for me. A sentinel. More than a guard. More than just a watchman. A sentinel is on guard, on watch, to challenge all comers. And not only to be about my father's business, but and the challenges that come because they do come. Now, as a sentinel, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be having to be in because the Holy Spirit would guide all the time that battles and things, but be ready at all times, be watchful. And be able to, maybe this is, some things are coming, I'm sorry. The Spirit's talking to me at the same time and giving me understanding and things that have been going on. And perhaps that's why he gives to me that I've shared with you before that sometimes I know its intention is a gift, but but because we are how we are, sometimes it, it hurts. But this discerning spirit is maybe because that's what I'm supposed to do. But we need to be ready and to be in prayer and strength and standing up for our brother for each other. Paul writes about this, that we need to exhort Edify, uplift. Now, exhortation is um, is a ready and brief can be um, but I may have shared this with you but exhortation is a to urge advise and caution, earnestly. That that means that it comes from our heart and that we, we want to and even may need to admonish. Admonishment is not a bad thing, okay? Some people think that, oh, that's like scolding and uh, not exactly. Admonishing is to um, is to caution, or advise, or counsel against something, and it's not to 
uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be, depending on how severe whatever it is that you're doing, it may be a, a scolding, but keep in mind that it's not intended to be a tongue lashing. It's, um, it's given in a tempered, mild, and a goodwilled way. And more of a firm reminder. So we're told that in the scripture, actually, that we are to do that for one another. We are to exhort, admonish, Edify, uh, edification. What's edification? What's that word? Well, edification is important. And it is a scriptural word. And edification is to give information, not just giving information, but to um, instruct and not just instruction, but to inform, and not just to inform, but to clarify. And importantly in that is to uplift. So in edification, it's to help, and this is a thing that I try to do when I'm sharing with y'all, and I'm using this platform that God has given to me. Is that it's not just to inform you, give you information on the scripture, because then you're going to know about Jesus. You're going to know about God. You're going to know about the Holy Spirit. But I'm doing this to invite you to be in his word, in his truth, to dig and seek that treasure, which is his knowledge and wisdom that he wants to share with you. So then you're going to know God. You are going to know Jesus. You are going to know the Holy Spirit. Because when you say, I do, I will Holy Spirit, let's go. Remember that some, some time back I shared this little mantra thing here with you? I do, I will, let's go. I do believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. I will have faith in you, Abba Yahweh, Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, let's go. Guide my steps on this path that we're on. Let's go. You and me, together. Teach me, guide me, show me. So these things are important. It's also very important to know that God is never going to carry us somewhere and then just go away. Remember the promises in his word, I will never leave you nor forsake you.
Brothers and sisters, we have to know these things. Have faith. Brothers and sisters, having faith. Word tells us all the time to have faith and and our faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's a substance of my heavenly kingdom that I'm an ambassador for, that I'm an heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ in that. Paul talks about that in his uh, when he when he talks to the church in Ephesus. that by the revelation given by the grace of God, that Paul has given insight to the mystery of Jesus, Christ Jesus. And he's made it known to them that because of that, they are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. And, G- and Israel, they are joint heirs along with Israel. And that mystery, which is Christ Jesus. And it is a mystery. But that was revealed to him. And these letters that Paul sends out that we read, that theological wizards have decided that they're going to call the gospel of the New Testaments. I've shared this with you before, is that the word gospel simply means good news. And my perception is that the good news or what they like to call the New Testament, the Gospels. Why they differentiate, I I'm, I'm, don't even, totally now, the more I read the Bible, the more it, it puzzles me as to why man or mammon has decided to separate. And when they translated, they did that. I'm not, quite honestly, I'm not so sure that that was totally God's intention. I mean, it's not a bad thing. Don't don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand, please. Don't get your knickers all twisted up and sit uncomfortably because I'm just, I'm just, the entire Bible for me is gospel. Okay, like I said, that's just my perception. The entire Bible is gospel, good news. It's just that part of it is historical documentation. It's just like, when Paul's trying to tell them, see, the nation of Israel, this is where a lot of problems came in at first, is because they wanted to be separated from everybody. They were the chosen ones. And it's true. God God pulled them out, saved their bacon many times, only to have them turn their back on him the way they did. And we've done the same thing. I mean, let's let's be real, let's be honest, and let's not... Uh, point our fingers in their direction when you remember I think I shared this a long time ago when we were kids we used to talk about when you point your finger at somebody you have three fingers pointing back at yourself Father, Son, and Holy Ghost and then you have your thumb which is on top which points up and down to heaven so you're pointing your fingers in accusation of somebody you're trying to point your finger in blame in one direction but keep in mind 
that you have those who are pointing back at you. And as I was sharing that Paul's letters to all these churches and are relative because they're part of the good news that he's trying to share about the fact that the mystery of Jesus Christ is available to all for their salvation and that he is there for them. But Paul's letters were letters of um, instruction. They were letters of admonishment. And they were letters to uplift and help and guide, warn, all of the above. And some people think that the perverts that I've shared with you before is that the uh, perverted teachings and false doctrines is that the Bible is wrong or needs to be retaught or whatever their idea is wrongly, but nothing has changed really between then and now. Just the era is different and that we don't have to ride by a donkey or get an ass to ride from one town to another, one village to another, and it doesn't take days and days to get from one part of town to the other side. I mean, if, uh, similarly speaking, this, where I live now, to get to, to someplace and walking... If I walk from where I live and, and trying to get to church, it's a it's an hour. When I, when I I wrote down something, and I mean if and I can't quite walk the way I used to do when I used to walk in the military. Um, things were it was a field quick march, and I could probably do the walk from here to church in about forty five minutes. Now it's, uh, the way it's registered, it's about an hour and a half walk for me to get from where I live to church. And thankfully that we're not having to do that the way it was. Because if I was having to travel the way it was, it would probably take me the better part of a day to get from here to church. So things have changed somewhat, but in many respects, it has not. Churches still need that guidance, that uplifting, that exhortation and the admonishment as we are told in the word. But there are individuals that want to pervert the word of God and say that that's not true. I'm telling you, it is. He had these individuals who want to get up and on parade up and down on the, the stage and stand behind their podiums and tell their congregation that the Bible is wrong and that it needs to be rewritten and that they, the, this perverted individual, is going to take it upon himself to rewrite it so that we're taught correctly. Well, the problem is that it took one 
single verse out of the Bible and didn't teach and wasn't teaching in context with the word. And the Bible tells us that we need to do that. This is, this is one of God's precepts. What is a precept? That is a commandment or an instruction from God. And it is given to us as a rule or instruction for our actions or concepts or conduct, I'm sorry, for our conduct. I'm thinking about this person who is contextual teaching and not contextual. Sorry about that. So it's a rule for our conduct and actions that we're supposed to be displaying as Christians or true believers. And you could call it a, um, um, I'm checking up, uh, I'm, I'm looking some definitions here so we have a clearer understanding. Oh, here we go. Here's a, this is really good. And this is, this is how this will fit accordingly for those who are trying to tell, tell us that the Bible is not an instruction manual uh, or that it's not intended as a guidebook. For, I, you know, I don't know where they come up with some of this stuff, to be perfectly honest with you. I really don't. Because it's exactly what the Bible tells us it is and what God tells us it is. But anyway... A procedural directive or a rule as for the performance of some tech, technical operation. So let's take the technical out of there, okay? That's, that's sounding more like a, what in the military we used to call a TM, short for technical manual. Gee, how enlightening is that, huh, right? <laughs> and they used to call FMs field manuals because, well, it was used for equipment out in the field all the time. So the Bible is very much a procedural directive for us, how we should proceed in life and go through life and how we should treat one another and how we should do things, okay? And I know that I strayed just a little bit, but um, this is what Paul was writing, and these perverts are trying to twist their words and say that the Bible and things are different and it needs to be up, but it's not. Paul was writing to the churches and he was sharing and the tenets and the precepts that God had put in the Bible for the churches. And, and understand this, that the churches in those days were surrounded, yeah, surrounded by many different peoples, cultures, beliefs, and some by the town... There is a place called Decapolis, and there was some problems there because 
brothers and sisters, they tried to um, teach in the area where they went, and and I'm sure that this is prob this is on the Sea of Galilee. And remember that they were that um, the disciples started out as fishermen. Where were they fishing? They were fishing on Galilee, and during the storm, Jesus walked on it. It was pretty much a little inland sea. And the Decapolis was a grouping of 10 or so towns. And they were all, there were some that had gathered that had different, uh, they went to a different church of a different belief. But the churches that Paul was writing his letters to in Ephesus, a big, big city, and to um, Philippi, another established church. And then you have um, Thessalonica. You have all these different churches that Paul was writing his letters to that were, he was trying to lift them, uplift them, edify them, give them clarity and encouragement. And he was also giving them exhortation and trying to help them because many, they were absolutely surrounded. You had the Greeks on, on one part and you had the Romans on one part. And those folks, they couldn't agree on much of anything together. And then you had Jews that had walking away and then you had those that were more orthodox in their beliefs. So this thing that was later called Christianity and back in the earlier days were called the way when Saul was actively seeking and hunting them to put them in prison or to kill them or burn out completely their meeting places. So when he was called Saul, that's what he used to do. And then his name, of course, was changed by Jesus when he knocked him off of his ass onto the road and stood over him and said, why are you, why are you coming for me, Saul? Well, just for that, I got something for you to do. You're going to be my disciple and apostle, and I'm going to send you out to teach the word. I'm going to teach you about my way and I'm going to give you this thing called the Holy Spirit, which is going to guide your steps and you're going to go out and you're going to preach my way to the Gentiles, those that are outside. And you remember later on, this is where Paul and Peter had kind of a we won't call it a falling out. They had a disagreement. And the disagreement was that Paul was trying to see more together and open and the one table idea. And Peter was seeing more for the chosen or the particular folks. And then, of course, we remember that later on, Peter was given the vision 
and he saw the the large cloth or sheet that was coming down. It had all the different animals and different fruits and all these things in it, and that it was all from God, and that it was all good. So the enlightenment from that was that we are all together one. And this is the word, thank you, Father. Is This is the opportunity that what we're shown and taught in the Bible, and we are given this, that we are all one, and that we are all invited to sit together at one table, and that through this mystery that we call Christ Jesus, and this is what I was sharing with you, um, that Paul was writing in his letter, to the church in Ephesus, that we are, and the church in Ephesus, of course, too, was uh, was seen in many of the churches that Paul was writing to. They were they were Gentile, and why is that? It was because of where they were surrounded by the Greeks, the Romans, and then the Jews that were not following the Jewish tradition and, and and believing the way they were. And some of them had adopted even false gods and idols, which were being worshipped by the Greeks and the Romans. And then they had adopted some of their, and they brought some of these things and ideas that they had learned from Egypt with them. So they were studying and worshipping there. And these were, and then the, the, these were the Jews that had actually become at enmity with the churches and the other Jews that were trying to be and follow the teachings of Jesus as being shared with them. So the churches were surrounded pretty much by those that were not following the Bible, or actually they didn't have it then. They had Torah and the teachings of the disciples, the apostles. So you had the churches that were surrounded by disbelief, lack of faith, and enmity with individuals that were supposed to be of their own, but yet were not. By their own declaration, so are things today so different when you have these perverts that are going to parade up and down on the stage and declaring themselves to be something, but yet teaching completely opposite or contrary to the word of God? Now, how are you going to stand in front of a congregation Supposed to be, as we call ourselves Christians today, you declare that to be so, but yet you are teaching completely opposite of what the Bible tells you. And then you're going to make the open declaration to the congregation that the Bible's wrong. Oh, God made a mistake. He's wrong. He's going to condemn people to hell and he's blackmailing them if they don't accept that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son. 
And if you don't believe that, then I'm going to send you to hell. Well, that's not at all what God says. Not even close. So let me just share this with you. Those individuals that stand up in front of a congregation or those who are representing their denomination and make the declaration that they're going to rewrite the Bible because God is an error, be very cautious. Try the spirit and you will probably see that these individuals are wearing a false skin and they will be what many years ago, when I was younger, they used to have a saying called, um, be cautious of the wolf in sheep's clothing. And there was actually, I can remember as a, as a kid, there's a cartoon and the wolf was trying to get past the sheepdog who was on guard and they would put on a sheep suit. It had a zipper in it, and then once they got by him, they would unzip the suit, and they'd go in, and they'd grab a sheep, and as soon as they turn around and make a run for it, the sheepdog was on them. Yeah, it's kind of a cartoon and uh, sort of a funny illustration, but brothers and sisters, this is exactly what Jesus warned us about. This is what Peter talked about. This is what Paul talked about. Brothers and sisters, they're real, and those are those that are claiming to be leaders of, a of an entire denomination that have gone to battle with other denominations. But this is the very thing that Paul talks about, tries to teach about, and Peter learned about, and we are supposed to share about, is that we are of one body, we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven, and that we are to be of one body and one mind. Not only was Paul writing to the church at Ephesus about this very thing, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is the mystery made known to me, by revelation, as I've already written earlier, that if you read this, you would know and understand and be able to understand that my insight into the mystery of Christ Jesus, which was not made known to people of an earlier generation, and it has now been revealed to me by the spirit of God's holy apostle and his prophets. But this mystery, through the gospel, that the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together and that mystery and promise of Christ Jesus. Now, for all practical purposes, according to the scripture, that we are those Gentiles. We are not 
the chosen that were brought out of Egypt. We are the Gentiles. And that's all that that means. That's all that means. It's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's not a, it's, it's not. It just means that you were not, or the people outside of that group. That's all that means. But it's come to mean so much more in this day and age. And I think actually, well, I don't know. It kind of runs neck and neck because things got pretty bad back then too. Um, but brothers and sisters, we need to throw out this derisive attitude that Satan so, so pumps into us with this white noise interference and tries to get us to... Uh, waller in it but we have to rebuke that and be strong and stand against that because all of that does that derisive nature is uh, just continue driving that wedge of separation which is all that is someone's either a different color or their their religious beliefs are different but do you go to war with them for that there are much more pressing issues and this armor of God that we put on, it's not to fight against flesh and blood. Brothers and sisters, we are told and we are given warning in the word of God that we fight against more than flesh and blood. That thing that is on the temporal plane of existence is not even relative to why we are wearing God's armor. We fight against principalities. And I've shared with you already what that means. Principalities are what? Those are the demons that were kicked out of heaven and worked for Satan and trying to separate us from God. They work actively. And we are told in the Bible that this is a reason we wear that armor. This is why I want to be a sentinel on watch and challenge these. And I want to be a prayer warrior. I don't think that I am nearly that. Prayer warriors are, um, they're an interesting folk. My mother was very powerful in that. But ready to pray over anyone, anything needing help, strength, that's what we're supposed to do, brothers and sisters. We're supposed to be that for our brothers and sisters, for one another, sharing the good news of the word of God, exhorting, edifying, any way, shape, or form that we can be, which is in righteousness, being bold and upright and truthful. That is the important thing. Jesus never twisted. He never bent the truth. He never took the truth and changed it so that it wouldn't hurt someone's feelings. You read the scriptures. He always told the truth. So again, I kind of fall back on something I had said before. 
I don't know where these individuals get off that it's okay to tell a little white lie when it's not. Because in the scriptures, if you look in the word of God, a lie is a lie. And God considers that to be an abomination. Why do you suppose that that word is so heavily used? Probably because another word or another term for the Son of God is truth. And his word is truth, always truth. It's never bent, never adjusted. And his truth is not different than your truth or my truth. His truth is simply the truth. Period, exclamation point, period. There is no adjustment. There is no bending it so that it doesn't hurt somebody's feelings. Jesus always told the truth. And sometimes individuals didn't like what he said, but he didn't say, oh, I'm sorry. Let me, let me, let me rephrase it. He never did that. He always told the truth. He always told it exactly as it was meant to be said. And you can't adjust that. You can't. Oh, I meant, I meant, I meant, I meant. It doesn't work that way. You tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you, Holy Spirit, by the word of God. Period. Truth. Sharing truth. It is not always feeling good when it come, goes in, but the thing of it is, brothers and sisters, that if you're truthful, it's only gonna sting for a little bit. But when you lie, it cuts going in and coming out. And the wound is much greater. The wound becomes infectious. And truth is more like, um, more like a, a BB pelt. Might sting for a minute or two or three but it goes away, it's absorbed and you, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that healing is really quick. And then the realization is knowing that it came from truth. Might not have liked it for a second, but the healing is better. But when somebody lies to you and it hurts going in, or maybe no so much going in, but when it's withdrawn and revealed, it hurts and hurts and hurts and hurts and, and oftentimes keeps on hurting. So brothers and sisters, we have to guard this sharp two-edged sword that our tongue has been called in the scriptures because it's been described as that. We have to be guarded on that. We have to make sure that we're not hurting someone going in and coming out. This is why we pray the Holy Spirit's guidance in all things. Brothers and sisters, things that I share and say are simply truth. And if you go to God's word, seeking, not to be offended, but seeking truth, you will find that 
what I share with you and what I tell you and the scriptures that I give to you, you will find it to be so. Not going to be anything different. Always truth. His truth. This is his platform. This is my Lord's podcast. This is why I call it the Haven of Truth. And we're anchored in his word. Anchored in this Bible. Anchored in the word of God. And a haven. Things might get stormy and rough out there, but as the lighthouse in Philadelphia, and I'm talking about not Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love in this country, but it was the it was one of the seven wonders of the world because it was so massive and so tall. You could see it literally for miles and miles out at sea. And that's pretty incredible considering that, as I've shared with you before, Lighthouses in those days, they didn't have halogen lamps. They were lit by oil. And the, and I'm not even sure what they used as a reflective surface, so it was some kind of mineral or something, but highly polished so that the light in that lighthouse could be reflected out and seen for so far away and for those of you that have never been on the ocean, when you get far, far, far out at sea and they turn off the white lights and they travel with the red light, and they do that because if you have the bright white lights showing all the time, you have your night vision is lost. And it makes it very difficult to see at nighttime, actually, it makes it more difficult to see. You'd think that it'd make it better, but it doesn't. So when you go from a brightly lit corridor or passageway, and then you go into an area that is very dark, you better hold on and stay still for a moment for that your eyes can adjust. That's because you have no night vision. And this is why they run the way that they do with the lighting so that you can move around in the darkness. But the point being that when you get very far out at there and see, it's really, really, really dark. <laughs> and these lighthouse, this lighthouse could be seen way out there by the sailors. And what that did is it drew them and it showed them where the haven was. And a haven is a protected space. And brothers and sisters, because this is a protected place because it is truth. It comes from the scripture. It is God's promises, always his way. Not made up, not my way, but his way. It is a haven, a place where you can find truth, where you can find shalom, his peace, peace given of the Lord as it is given by him and not as we see given by man or mammon, because that's not true peace. Brothers and sisters, I share his love. I share his peace. I share his truth as we're supposed to do. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers going out and coming in. Be blessed.